Hello there. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to the Not The Top 20 podcast. We cover the EFL and we are going to be looking back on a weekend that was pretty lively actually across the three EFL divisions. Some very eye-catching results, some impressive performances and some that were less so. I'm Ali Maxwell. I've got George Ellick on the line with me. George, it's absolutely delightful to be talking football with you again. <laughs> As ever, I feel like I'm saying that a lot at the moment, but it's always good to, to yeah recap the weekend's action with you too, Ali. So Do you know what, man? I've spent the whole day cleaning my flat and arranging things and sorting things and chucking things out, and it genuinely does brighten up my day being able to sit down and talk through some football with you. So if you'll allow me to keep saying it, then I will keep saying well, it. I'm glad you. I mean, it's good you say it on Monday. I feel like by kind of Thursday or Friday, when we spent every day together in the week, it might change a bit. But um, I'm also I'm also enjoying it now. Possibly, possibly. Look, uh, just a, a quick nod to those listening. Say stuff to your loved ones. Say nice things to those who you love. I think it's an important thing to do and it can make them feel good, but it also makes you feel good. So there's just a little uh, a, a request, I suppose, of sorts from me for us to all be a little bit better loads, at that. Loads of first-time listeners wondering what they've tuned into here. <laughs> possibly, possibly. Well, welcome one and all. Uh, George and I are off to MK Don's Ipswich tomorrow night. Really excited about that one. There is a whole slate of League One and League Two fixtures in midweek. So this week we're going to start with the Championship. We're going to go in-depth on the Championship after its international break ended. Uh, and League One and League Two, we're going to rattle through. Um, still some talking points, but a little less shelf life, I suppose, on that stuff. George, we'll start with the Championship. Now, this week I've kind of split it up into a couple of groups here. We are going to talk about Huddersfield and Sheffield Wednesday. That was probably the most eye-catching fixture ahead of the weekend, with both sides going into it with new management teams. Gary Monk with Sheffield Wednesday and Danny Cowley with Huddersfield. We're going to talk in depth about that afterwards, but I've split the rest of the games into two groups, really, uh, starting with a group of away wins. Now, we had some impressive away results. Nottingham Forest against Swansea. They beat them 1-0. Bristol City beating Stoke 2-1. Charlton losing at home to Birmingham 1-0. And Barnsley falling 2-0 to Leeds on Sunday. And I want you to pick two of those that you want to talk about. And I'll talk about the other two. So what caught your eye, I guess, most out of that group of away wins? I think the, the Bristol City-Stoke one has to be up there. Um, I mentioned in the betting show that this was a game I could see Bristol City getting something from and, and they get the three points but circumstance seems to be the uh, the key to Stoke's season so far and whether it's being unlucky in terms of goalkeeper errors, whether it's being unable to finish their chances, which again was was an issue here, there's always a reason or an excuse for, for Nathan Jones to fall back upon um, for the poor showing and this time it was a Joe Allen red card where Stoke going into this game, it's such a massive game for them after their poor start. Such a big game for the manager against a good team. And to go 1-0 up after four minutes was the dream start. So for the, for Joe Allen, who's so experienced, hadn't been sent off for, for eight seasons um, and should be the person in the middle of the park with the, with the nous to get them through these kind of games, for him to go and get a straight red for what looked like a very, very um, clumsy, pretty dangerous tackle, you have to say. It was late. His right foot was raised. His studs were raised after just 12 minutes when you know you're in that position was pretty unforgivable. Mm. And yet again, I feel like I'm banging the same drum where I just, I just feel sorry for Jones and what's he meant to do to stop that from happening. It was a pretty tight game anyway. If you look at the shot count, it was about 12 all. Um, both had decent chances to win it. And uh, you know Stoke managed to, to keep the score at 1-0 up until the 55th minute where, where Framaro Jiju came into the team and got his first goal of the season. Coming in for Benicofobe, he couldn't play. 
Um, and then a ridiculous own goal um, where not only did it look like a foul, I think, on, on, on Tom Edwards, um, who scored the own goal, but it was also a marginal call where it, it didn't look to cross the line. And then the goal was given late on. So it's just a catalogue of, of coin tosses, I guess, that keep going against Stoke. Um, a really, you know, a, a big performance from Bristol City, an efficient one to get the job done. Uh, despite Stoke's poor form, it's never going to be an easy an easy game. And playing against ten men who who are looking to protect a one 0 lead, it's always going to you have to be very patient to to carry to to carry it off. So, a good result for them. But I guess with Stoke, it's just the same old story. And I keep saying that I want it to turn around for Nathan Jones. I keep saying there there are reasons why this form is bad. They're not just a bad football team. Um, and given a bit of time, it should correct itself. But how much longer do you give him now? Because mm. week on week, this is happening and you have to wonder whether they have to make a change in order to trigger a reaction. Well, he said we're very, very, very close to being a very, very good side in his interview afterwards, didn't he? And they're going to have to show it because they've got Brentford away next, Forest at home after that. Um, I did note that actually there was a bit of... Um, well, it's hard to be positive because they're, they're not picking up points. But specifically after this game, there was a feeling from some of the Stoke fans that we follow that despite the loss, the performance was actually fairly encouraging, especially after going down to 10 men and specifically the performance of Badu and Diai in midfield. Um, Atebo came on to bolster the midfield. I think the general feeling is the Stoke fans are not that disappointed that Joe Allen will now serve a suspension because they want to see yeah. they want to see a game of 11 v 11 in which Stoke have and Diai and Atebo and Klukas in midfield. So uh, that Brentford game is going to be a, a smashing game at Griffin Park on the weekend. Uh, and Bristol City with the most EFL away points in 2019. Just a real prospect away from home. Um, and my only other thought on that one was, was a couple of nice crosses from Jack Hunt, the right back. And uh, Jeju reminding everyone that along with Jukas Djukovic, he's the sort of best back post header of the ball in the league. Um, that's a real sort of calling card of his. Um, let me touch on Leeds because they beat Barnsley. Uh, it took them a while to get the goals. It was a, a relatively familiar story in the sense that in the first half, they squandered two or three very good chances, Pablo uh, and Jack Harrison specifically. But this time, or well, I shouldn't say this time, because more often than not this season, they have got the win, especially playing away from home where they're four from four. But they did take their chance eventually. And it was notable that it's Nketiah who did so. He is taking every opportunity he gets right now. I think the general feeling is that Bamford had a, a perfectly good game and, and thus, far, thus far has, has impressed this season to some extent. But this kid Nketiah, with his movement, um, with his instinct and, and, and his finishing ability as well, it feels like it's only a matter of time until he gets a start. And on current form, you wouldn't bet against him sort of making it his own. But Bamford still plugging away as well. Helder Costa still not starting for Leeds, which seems incredible. We know what a good player he is at this level. Um, but Bielsa, as he does, um, loyal to players that he's worked with for longer, players that understand the system a little better. And at the moment, happy for Nketiah and Costa to come off the bench. So lots of positives for Leeds. Wasn't a poor performance from Barnsley um, by, by any means. Uh, and that's encouraging for them because they have had a tough start. Uh, I note that Malik Wilkes is playing through the middle with Corley Woodrow and I understand the, the desire to maintain a, the, the system that 
treated them so well last season. But I just think specifically Wilkes uh, is probably not the man for that. And I, I know that they have got injuries, so that is a factor. But um, hopefully at some point we might see him drift out wide where I feel he's a, a bit more uh, dangerous. George, what about uh, the other big result I thought, or the most notable result just in terms of league position was Swansea? Uh, who've been spent the whole international break with all the uh, all the data analysts telling them that that their shot locations that their shot quality was unsustainable, their underlying numbers was unsustainable, and it was going to come back and bite them. Uh, and then they go and lose at home to Forest. What was your main takeaway from this? Sort of impressed with Forest, or or sort of viewing this Swansea result as one that had been coming? No, I, I think impressed with Forest. I, I think both of what you said there. Um, this was a a completely justified 1-0 win. I think it offers other teams a bit of a blueprint in how to how to face up to Swansea, where Swansea dominated possession. Uh, they had, I think, 65% odd possession in the game, as we'll expect them to have for most of the season, given the way they played last season, given the players they have at their disposal. I think when you've got the likes of, of Grimes and Fulton in centre midfield and Selina, you're always going to look to play pretty possession-heavy football. But... You know, you talk about shot locations. They had just nine shots in the game. Only three of those shots were inside um, Forrest's box. One of those was blocked. So they're not really creating much at all compared to 14 shots from Forrest, who played on the counter and, and did a really good job of it as well. And the one thing that struck me here, I mean, I've not been unwilling, but I, I've kind of looked at Forrest's start with a bit of... I haven't been willing to really get on board with them being one of the top teams in in the division. Again, we don't know much about many of the signings uh, in the summer. Alpha Semedo came off the bench here to get the winner. But just having the options they've got in their squad, I mean, they've the, the size of the squad is well publicised. It's not necessarily a good thing. But when you have Lolly, Semedo and Silva to bring on for Amiobi, Carvalho and, and Adoma, mm. that shows you the, the options you've got in order to make these changes. And then you've got the likes of, of Bostock and, and uh, you know, Bostock on the bench, who's, who I think Forest fans are very excited about as well, another attacking, um, passing player. So it, it's going to make them a hard team to to, to, to beat. I think Lamucci's shown that he's got this team playing in very different ways and, and they can you know, they can play both on the counter, relinquishing possession, and they can play in a more controlling fashion as well. And they went to a team who, you know, were top of the table, who, who looked to be, um, you know, the most impressive team, except for Leeds, in the league so far this season. They went and, and you know, also have a fantastic home record in the last... Uh, 12 or 13 months and they got the, the the three points they deserved so all credit to Forrest and maybe you know in my in my head my reckoning gonna view them with a little bit more respect after this one because they went to Swansea and I, you know it, it took an 85th minute winner to, to get the three points but if they hadn't got it I think they could have felt pretty aggrieved yeah they seem quite quite gritty you know despite the mm. the flair players that they have it, the, in their away form has been very impressive and they've They've shown a, a good away sort of setup and mentality, I suppose. They've played the current top three away from home and Fulham as well. And they've got two wins and two draws from it. So, you know, the next job is, is to become a, a, a dominant home team. They obviously got a big win against Birmingham, but otherwise not so good at home this season. Starting with Barnsley this weekend, that could be a, we could be sitting here talking about a big Forest win on Monday and, and maybe we'll have ticked them right up into to challenges, but very impressive yeah. uh, away form. I think form. It, the interesting with them as well is the Charlton result, the, the one all uh, draw at the Valley, they were very, very lucky not to be kind of three or four nil down at half time in that game. Mm. Uh, the Leeds game as well, a one all draw where they could have easily been been beaten pretty comfortably. But maybe just getting those two points, not playing particularly well, but getting the, the points in those ones gave them a bit of a, you know, a bit of a lease of, well, just some confidence, I guess, on their travels because the performances against both Fulham 
and Swansea have been very, very different to those games um, where, where they got the draws. So, it, yeah, Lamucci's obviously got them improving even from where they were just a few weeks ago. Yeah, we had a couple of Sunday scouting reports saying that Samba Sal, very impressive in midfield. Someone called him the championship Kante, uh, which uh, which might be fairly bold. Uh, uh, what about Birmingham? They beat Charlton 1-0. This was a, a pretty even game, which wasn't necessarily a surprise. Both of these sides, despite a difference in league position, were... Um, fairly shot shy. I think I said on the betting show, Charlton had had the fewest shots per game at home and Birmingham the fewest shots per game away from home. So it was likely to be fairly narrow. Uh, and it was Birmingham who had the better of it. Uh, Charlton not really doing much until really sort of 20 minutes to go in that one. And uh, Talk the Blues, who tweeted a Sunday scouting report to us saying Crowley made an impact. Sunic, very good as well. The defence, very resolute. So that's Birmingham's away day blues banished. They'd been poor, really, uh, in in a couple of their away games so far, but they did well to limit Charlton to very few chances. And they took their one big chance, and that was taken by Jude Bellingham. Now, we spoke about him just a couple of weeks ago after a goal against Stoke. He is 16 years old, just about. And we had some, some good intel from Connor Rowden on him two weeks ago. This time he played off the left against Stoke. He'd played off the right. And it kind of speaks to what Connor told us about him in his true position at senior level, not really being defined just yet. But uh, because of the quality that he has, um, the ability to go past players with ease and, and, and things like that, he is looking like a serious prospect. And I don't think we can really exaggerate enough how ridiculous it is that there is a player born in June 2003 who is scoring decisive goals uh, in the second <laughs> tier of English football. Absolutely incredible. And before I move on, although the game was drawn and we normally leave them out, I should mention Joe Gelhart as well of, of Wigan. Another talented young English player getting a chance and taking it. Gelhart's goal was notable for how, uh, well, the first touch for starters, uh, a sort of a first touch that was also a turn to take him past or to create a bit of distance between him and a defender or two. Uh, uh, one extra touch and then lashing it into the bottom corner with that left foot. I went straight back to Connor, who's uh, the person to follow on Twitter, uh, all things youth football. And I'll I'll make sure I tweet his at when we release the podcast. And I asked him about Geldhard because he's been playing England under 18s. Um, he's well known in the youth game. Uh, Connor says he's, he is physically mature despite his age, so you have to be a little bit cautious, but he stands up to the cliche of stocky Scouse strikers. Um, super aggressive, hardworking, loads of hustle and bustle, but also a great left foot. Just a really direct player, and that goal kind of sums him up better than I could with words. Explosive movements combined with skill and a clean strike. Not the tallest, but he's got a presence, especially playing amongst his age group. So he's been linked with moves to both Liverpool sides, Connor says it's hard to know if they're serious or not, um, but he's a regular for England. The under-18s doesn't look like losing his spot. Wigan have also got Jensen Weir, who is the son of David Weir, who is another talented young player coming through. So um, despite things not going that well on the pitch uh, so far this season for Wigan, there are some serious signs of, of encouragement with some of their young players. George, the second group that I wanted to talk about of games are the home wins. Um, we've got Preston beating Brentford 2-0, Middlesbrough beating Reading 1-0. Uh, you want to talk about the Blackburn win against Millwall and the QPR 3-2 win against Luton. What caught your eye there? Easy. It's easy. <laughs> I think... Jesus, and, you know, it was so good, wasn't he? Oh, he my is, God. He is um, a player who I kind of slightly fell in love with when I saw him play live for the first time last season. Uh, in a two-all draw that Stoke had with QPR at, at the Bet365 Stadium. 
And I mean, as we've spoken about before, for whatever reason, for the for the last kind of three or four months, you've got to say, um, at the end of last season, he he just dropped off. His performance levels weren't particularly high. But we are now seeing in, in a very easy a guy who's a an unbelievably exciting talent uh, for everybody involved and his start to the season has been phenomenal he completely embodies what this Mark Wilberson QPR team is all about where they're, it's a very young team who are encouraged to play with freedom um, I think the, the loss of, of Luke Freeman has almost benefited them in a way because it's it's taken away that creative heartbeat and it's enabled Easy to flourish in, in the role he's playing at, at the moment a more central role and it gives them just a bit more balanced he scored three goals a season already two assists uh, and he was just electric on uh, on Saturday, hitting the woodwork twice, once with a extraordinary kind of spinning backwards header that I don't really understand what was going on there. Because <laughs> He looked so looked, angry that he hadn't scored it. He, he, and it he, he responded as if he'd missed a sitter. It look, and it looked, I mean, it looks deliberate from, from what I can see. Uh, and then you, you, you look around this team, Easy's quite clearly the star, but you've got Elias Chair who's seeming, seemingly settling into life uh, in the championship pretty happily. Uh, you have Manning at left-back, who's another young guy as well. Wells in amongst the goals. I mean, if, if this is the team who are going to create plenty of chances, then Wells is the man to put them away. Um, I think the fact he hasn't been particularly prolific for the last couple of years probably has more to do with QPR rather than than, uh, than Wells himself, who we've, seen, who we've seen is proficient at putting chances away if he's given them. Um, so it, it, it seemed early on in the season like QPR weren't necessarily getting the points they were deserving. Um, I think Luton came back into the game obviously very, very well. Um, Harry Cornick's finish was was a good one, but profiting from a pretty horrendous mistake from the QPR keeper uh, in in Lumley. But it's, it's another it's another huge result for them. And I if, I if I would have to pick out a dark horse now to do really really well in the in the championship this season, currently in seventh position, and those two defeats that you can see there. Um, maybe a bit harsh. I think QPR could have a really exciting season, but keeping hold of Easy and making sure he doesn't have that similar slump in form, whether it was fatigue or, or whatever, that's going to be the tough thing for, for Mark Warburton to, to ensure it doesn't happen. Yeah, he's got a lovely role in this team at the moment. They've also been giving Ilias Chair a lot of minutes as well, and we spoke about it before, managing to get him and Easy, who are, you know, I'm not saying they're not hardworking players, but ostensibly flair players in a team with two strikers as well is it, really tactical. Ta- Testament to Mark Warburton and the impressive start that he's made. Ryan Manning's also playing really well at, at left wing back as well, which has been notable. Well, I'll talk about Preston then. They beat Bees 2-0 and quite quietly, I think, Preston slipping into the playoff places now. They're on, they're on very good form. And, you know, last year, and this is a stat that I've nicked from Deepdale Digest on Twitter, brilliant Preston fan site that um, it took them till October the 24th last year to get to... 13 points that was their 14th game of the season and they've hit 13 already this year and if you remember that they didn't miss the playoffs by a million miles um, that is a really really good sign because like last year as well they've had a fair few injuries um, throughout the season uh, to start with they still don't seem to have struck on a a particularly um, well uh, the the obvious front few uh, Neil still chopping and changing his striker. Bart Kaysen played on the weekend and did get a goal and, and, and does stretch defences, but isn't a classic number nine, that's for sure. But one thing that they are based on is a very, very good back line. 
And Patrick Bauer signed on a free, you might recall, in the summer. That is proving to be one of the bargains of the summer because him and Ben Davis forming a formidable bond. That's what Preston Updates told us in his scouting report. Basically saying this was a game of limited opportunities, but Preston were clinical. Uh, Brentford in tightening up somewhat um, that, that, you know, again, they're, they're not necessarily getting the results that their underlying numbers uh, say that they could or should do, which is no surprise, which is nothing new. Um, but they are looking much better defensively, um, but perhaps slightly at the at the um, sacrifice of, of some of the, the chance creation and, and how impressive they've been in, in recent years in that sense. But um, Daza, Bees fan, um, credit to, to Preston. They came out the blocks and pinned us back, got the early goal and defended well and didn't really give us a sniff. So just really impressive stuff from Preston who are in fifth as we record. They go to Birmingham on Saturday and then host Bristol City. So not an easy few games coming up, but a team that we might be talking about a bit more in the coming weeks. Um, Blackburn beating Millwall. George, this one was, uh, I mean, it looked relatively routine. Millwall not turning up for an away game, which we've said before. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. Uh, I think um, it, this was a pretty no-frills home win. Um, we, we, Millwall seemed to be a very Jekyll and Hyde team, uh, putting in consistently good performances at home, really struggling to make an impact away from home, uh, barely really troubling uh, Blackburn here, who um, had to rely on a, a thunderbolt from Derek Williams, something we're not really used to seeing, um, but an, an unbelievable left-footed hit from about 25 yards uh, into the far corner. And then Bradley Dack getting a second goal of the season, which is good news for Blackburn fans because they'll be keen for him to be uh, more amongst it. Armstrong had chances. Rothwell had chances. Um, this was uh, a, a game that I think after a, a turbulent start um, to Blackburn's season at Ewood Park, they'll be happy that, that this was the kind of result they were getting fairly regularly last season that kept them, uh, that kept the relegation zone at arm's width for the whole season and gave them the opportunity to dream of something better. So I think, you know, games like this is going to be, have to be Tony Mowbray's bed, Tony Mowbray's bed and bread and butter here. Um, but not Tony too Mowbray's much to bed and breakfast, I thought you were going to say. I should have done. <laughs> Which I, 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 that's I what he does. That's actually, go and stay there, yeah, people so. don't know that's what he does in the summer months, Tony Mowbray, <laughs> just to sort of relax and unwind. Lee Bowyer's got his fishing lake and Tony Mowbray's got his bed and breakfast. Um, somewhere near Skegness, I think it is. Um, <laughs> look, um, what was I going to add? Oh, yeah, just the fact that Blackburn have got four clean sheets in their last five league games, which really took me by surprise. I remember being quite concerned about their defence at the start of the season um, and continuing to, to be quite concerned even after they signed Charlie Mulgrew. Um, so I'm happy to put it down to Daryl Lenehan being just one of the best central defenders in the division. I, I noted that he made his 150th appearance for, for Blackburn on the weekend. He's a player that I, I truly believe could play higher, could play bottom half of Prem, but he, he does need to stay fit last season. Knee injury kept him out for a while. Last uh, game, before we get on to Huddersfield, Sheffield Wednesday, just to mention Middlesbrough, they got a win against Reading. This was a, a very tight game. This was another game in which Reading fans probably correctly feel a little hard done by a, a draw, probably a more fair result. But Darren Randolph, we've been we've been arguing about this one for a while, but I, I actually think it's you know more or less undeniable now that Randolph, as a shot stopper at least, 
is is to me the best goalkeeper in the championship. I think when we spoke last year, not to throw you under the bus, but I'm pretty sure you put. Sounds forward... like you're about to throw me under the bus here. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. So you, I'm pretty I sure you. I don't, I don't know why you have to mention this if you're not throwing me under the bus. Okay. What other reason would there be for it? Well, you put forward a former, uh, I suppose, an England international. I'm not sure I can call him former yet because he could still get some caps. Uh, who has been uh, high profile in his errors, shall we say, this week? But um, Indeed, no, yeah. this was a good game. Look, we're finding. I don't know about you, George, but some of these just championship games at the moment they're so hard to call because there's not much between a lot of the teams at this level and it makes for fantastically entertaining stuff um this was another entertaining game with lots of end-to-end action said miles neither team controlled the game but both created chances Uh, mcnair and dale fry impresses randolph as well of course um and your old friend marvin johnson who fuzzy dunlop calls name marvin johnson um, he scored. He scored the winner. Jesus. And he, he's had somewhat of a renaissance this season for for Nottingham, uh, for Middlesbrough. Sorry, um, which I am surprised about because I, I felt like he was being somewhat bombed out. But he's really made that spot his own. It's sort of over players like Tavernier, who we wanted to see a bit more of. Players like Marcus Brown as well, who joined from Oxford or joined from West Ham, having been at Oxford on loan in the summer. At the big game, George was Huddersfield nil, Sheffield Wednesday two. So we need to talk about both sides here, really starting with Huddersfield and the Cowley brothers, the new managers of Huddersfield. When we spoke last week, um, they hadn't been appointed, but it was being heavily rumoured. We discussed, uh, well, we sort of went down the the strain of topic of conversation, which was, is it a risky move for them to take? And and we discussed why it it wasn't necessarily when some people thought it was. But let's, let's discuss the job in hand what we think they might be able to do at Huddersfield or what they might not be able to do. What do you think the what do you think the sort of current status of this team is? Because they you know, there there's a there's obviously not high expectations on them to do much this season apart from stay up. But it's almost being talked about as if that's just an absolute given with them in charge. Well, I mean Danny Cowley said in his in his press conference when he when he took the job, he said we are in a relegation battle. Whether he believes that or not, I don't know, but I think that's significant because it's it's effectively him saying to the fans, to the board, to anyone who's interested, don't judge me until, you know, this time next year. Don't judge me on anything that happens this season beyond getting out of the relegation scrap. Um, they are in a relegation scrap. They have, as I, as I keep banging on about, they've only won one game in in 10 months and that was back in November last year in all competitions. It's a It's a horrific, horrific run. So his job is to stop the rot, and I think this presented quite a good opportunity to do that. Um, you know, Sheffield Wednesday are by no means one of the worst teams in the league, but at the same time, they're a team who will lose a fair few games away from home this season. It was it was a home game to to get them underway as well, which I think all managers would appreciate. Um, and they struggled to to really do much in the game. They went behind early and uh, had a few chances to get back into it, but I think at the end of the day, Sheffield Wednesday were good value for their win. Um, Interesting looking at the way the, the kind of game progressed stylistically. I think a lot of Huddersfield fans were concerned that the Cowley brothers would bring a more attritional brand of football. But, I mean, the, the passing stats the Huddersfield uh, players had showed a, a real willingness to retain the ball in very deep areas. I mean, Elphick and Schindler attempted nearly 200 passes between the two of them. Um, and that suggests either um, Cow- Danny Cowley's not been willing to impart any of his new philosophies onto the team early on, and he's happy to... To, to maintain that ball that ball playing style, or the you know the the blueprint for this Huddersfield team is going to look very very different to what we came to 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 get used to, I guess, at Lincoln, because that that ninety one number 
for Schindler, for example. I mean, he averages about 50 passes per game, so almost double what we're used to. Part of that's going to be game state because, of course, Sheffield Wednesday are going to sit back away from home when they take the lead. Um, but I'd still argue that that is significant. So it's going to be interesting to see how that progresses going forwards and, and, and how that, that style of play and whether or not he'll maintain it. Yeah, I mean, it was just a, another blunt performance from them going forward, wasn't it? They don't, they don't always look like a terrible team. Like they, they don't spend whole games looking disastrous. But in terms of creating chances, uh, they really are just so so blunt, and and that is going to be the the biggest test for me, I suppose. They they have the players on paper that you know, if you or I were playing football manager, we'd sort of back ourselves to make it work. But it's not as easy as that, as we know. Uh, they need to keep a, a solid foundation as well because, you know, the names like Schindler and Congolo at the left back and Elphick to some extent, although I'm not sure I've ever considered him to be top, top level championship. I mean, these are guys who should be part of a better defence than they are currently. So uh, I know there's been a lot of criticism aimed at the right back, Hadagonaj, and uh, maybe that's a, a problem area, but some, some really straightforward goals given away. Two brilliant crosses, don't get me wrong, and, and Bannon was magisterial in this game, but um, there's just there's so much for them to do at both ends, I suppose. And, and look, we have followed these guys for the last few years. We know the Cowleys to be uh, certainly at League Two and, and, and League One level, the little that we saw. Um, some of the most prepared managers that, that we've seen in terms of how they analyse the opposition, how they set up their teams, some of the most willing to mix things up in order to get results, uh, a, a, a staff that managed to build a, a truly a winning mentality at that club and recruit players who you were surprised could join Lincoln, which wasn't always down to their financial muscle, but actually to buying into the project. So there's many things that we think about the Cowleys that in theory, should translate into success in the long term. But as we know, it's not always quite as cut and dried as that. Let's talk about the other new manager. I mean, I just just one thing I'll say as well on, on Huddersfield and, and, their, and their struggles is that, I mean, it looks they look like a team devoid of confidence. They look like a team who've, who've effectively forgotten how to, to create chances to score goals. And the one positive I'd say about Danny Cowley and the one thing that sets him apart is that he seems to be a guy who is willing to be pretty inventive and pretty effective in, in working out methods of creating chances. I mean, you think back to even yeah. last summer when, he, when we read about Gareth Southgate spending time with the Cowleys talking about set-piece routines because they were so inventive and so you know, ahead of the curve in terms of what they were getting their Lincoln team to do. So in that respect, I think it's a good fit, even if we didn't see the fruits of any of their labour so far on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Gary Monk was in the opposition dugout and you know you talked about Huddersfield having a lot of possession um, and whether that was to do with uh, uh, an updated Cowley philosophy but it might be just as much to do with Gary Monk's philosophy we've seen uh, certainly last season his Birmingham side among the lowest possession stats in the league uh, not something that particularly bothers him uh, having more of the ball and, uh, and and something that with Birmingham was a, an effective tactic and it was as well in this game at George Nancy Frostick is the Sheffield Wednesday writer for The Athletic. The Athletic uh, sponsors of the podcast, partners of ours, and uh, still churning out fantastic content, which you can read uh, via a free trial and then 50% off by going to theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20. Her piece from this game, the title made me laugh, George. Monk's set piece instructions chewed up and spat out as Wednesday start new era with a win. Now that title needed a bit of explaining to me but uh, she does so in the opening paragraph basically uh, he sent on some instructions in, in a piece of paper which went from Kadeem Harris all the way to the other wing 
to Murphy, who, when he'd read the instructions about who he should mark, uh, he just he just popped them in his mouth and gave a little chew and then spat out on the floor, which is pretty remarkable, really. Um, you know, this was Monk's first game in charge, hugely positive result. I'd be interested to know what you took from this piece. I mean, I keep forgetting that this is Monk's fourth championship job since taking over Leeds, what, three years and two months ago, which is... Remarkable, a man that we, we should know plenty about, George. What do you make of, of the appointment and, and what Nancy wrote about? I thought it was a really interesting piece. I mean, as ever with these, um, you know, with the athletic articles, you're getting insight that you don't really get anywhere else. And, and the quotes about Monk and about the work he'd already done at Sheffield Wednesday um, were really interesting. I mean, the, the opening line starts with uh, a quote from Monk himself saying, the way I work is with clarity. I've always found that if a player knows exactly what you're asking of him, there, there are no grey areas. And that's when they perform at their best. And, and in the piece, it talks about how he hadn't done much work um, with, the, with the team initially beyond just making sure that every player knows their role very well. And that pragmatic approach, I mean, it is pragmatic. I think that builds into the way that you, know, you talk about Birmingham last season being a team who didn't really look to keep possession uh, too much. So I think that's going to be the same case here. He looks to each player to find their individual strengths and to make sure they're maximising that ability. So you talk about Bannon being majestic. I mean, he is quite clearly the player that will be entrusted with most of the ball-playing um, responsibility, especially in the in the first two-thirds of the pitch. Then you're looking at the at Breach, Harrison and, uh, and Murphy, the individual flair. So I think that's the way we're going to see it, is going to be very much two sets of this team. You're going to have a very, very solid defensive unit with Bannon basically providing the link between the two. And then looking to play play on the break and, and, and use the individual talent and athleticism and pace of, of the more attacking-minded players as well. So it's, it, it looks like a good fit to me. I, I think reading that, what Nancy's saying about Monk's mindset, um, it, it tallies with what we already know about him as well. Um, per, his personality is something that I've, I've often questioned because we've seen him get very, very... Um, I wouldn't say frosty, but I think I'd be quite harsh on Nancy given her surname. So I'll say, I'll say something else. Uh, but we've, we've seen him... Uh, lose, you know, his relationship with with fans is is often proven um, difficult. I, I would say he, he's not one to take the fans' side when when things aren't going particularly well. And we know that Sheffield Wednesday have a very big and very passionate fan base, and Hillsborough can be a pretty um, it can be a great place for when things are going well, and it can be can be pretty um, clear to the managers when when it's not going particularly well either. I think Yosla Hukai will probably attest to that. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how that goes, but but a perfect start for a guy who, who I, I think I back to be an upgrade on any manager they've had really since since Carlos Carvajal. He's got quite an, an interesting style of communication, doesn't he, Monk? And I'm not just talking about the uh, his Twitter page where he does sort of really sort of colour by numbers solid. Uh, solid tweets that sort of designs to impress do you think the Gary, fans. Do you think Gary Monk has Twitter on his phone? I don't think Gary Monk has Twitter on his phone, no, but someone does. Uh, <laughs> someone, someone's got a, a Gary Monk verified account. But it, it's not actually the tweets that I'm necessarily talking about. Anyone who has watched a lot of Monk post-match interviews and pre-match interviews, he has got a slightly unusual style, I would say, where he's very sincere and he's very... He's got quite a lot of buzzwords. Uh, he talks in, in, in management speak to a, a, a greater extent than a lot of other managers. And you can absolutely see why he does that. And I'm sure it's a way of getting through what must be um, sometimes quite tedious interviews where the media are trying to trip you up and trying to glean information and whatnot. But it's a, it's a style that I do find quite interesting because 
it sort of it keeps everything at bay to some extent. He very rarely gets too riled up, but he, de- he definitely doesn't give too much away either. And I think it's a style that when things are going well, um, same with the tweets, uh, it's, it's great for fans. But I do think that when things aren't going so well, he has, as you mentioned, he hasn't always... Um, hasn't always seemed to have dealt with it that well. So that's something to watch out for, but a, a fantastic start. The only thing I'd add, um, which uh, I noted after reading the article, is I do wonder if we might see an increased goal output from Stephen Fletcher now, um, not only because of the style of play and the type of the player that he is, but also the fact that Monk in the past has got serious goal returns out of similar-ish players such as Chris Wood, such as Lukas Djukovic last season as well. So um, uh, the only other thing I noted from that game uh, and from Nancy's piece was that Adam Reach played in the hole in number 10 there. Now that might answer our question. Last time we spoke Sheffield, Sheffield Wednesday in depth, we wondered uh, with Harris and Murphy as the wingers what Reach's best fit was in this team. Um, and, and it looks like the number 10 position with the ability that he has in his left foot could be the one um, going forward, although I note that he moved out to the right after the change was made to bring on Winnell. So that's his versatility, really helping things. I'm going to tease a a bit of content that we'll have out in the next few weeks with uh, Johnny Jackson, the Charlton assistant manager, who we spent a day with uh, last week, um, just because he he was talking to us about the strengths of Christian Bielik at Charlton last season and just how much of a bonus it is to have someone so versatile that means you can change systems and formations in-game without having to necessarily burn a substitution on it and uh, and Reach is showing that quality here for Sheffield Wednesday. Let's move on. Oh no, one more thing. One <laughs> more thing. This was from Nancy's piece when Monk was hired and something that I just want to flag up. The 27th of November, Sheffield Wednesday against Birmingham, Gary Monk versus Pep Clotet. Uh, she mentioned that they don't see eye to eye anymore and he's been very loyal to his backroom staff in, in a number of the jobs that he's had in the last few years. And Clotet sometimes was given some of the credit for the tactical side of their partnership. So interesting to hear rumours that they're not seeing eye to eye. And I cannot wait for that game. Um, I think it's under the lights as well, a midweek game. So that will be really tasty. You might see if we can get up for that one. Um, uh, yeah, just to finish that bit off, uh, as I mentioned, the athletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20. That is a way of... Just sort of checking it out um, with a free trial with 50% off going forward. I think it's the price of a, a cup of coffee, essentially, per month to get access to some of the best writers around and 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 a bit of NTT20 pod every now and then as well. So um, in League One, two teams scored six, George. So I think we probably have to start with them, don't we? Peterborough, we just quite simply have to give credit to, more credit than we have done, um, certainly in the last few weeks, because that's four league games in which they've scored 15 goals without conceding. They've faced only one shot on target in those four games, which is absolutely astonishing. Uh, And in this game, well, they owed a lot to Rochdale, let's be clear here, but 6-0 up after 62 minutes. They are, well, they're they're the form team in the EFL, I suppose, to some extent. Yeah, to, to every extent. I mean, unbelievable um, what they're doing at the moment. The the Issa, Tony, Madison trio are, are just blowing everything in front of them away. Um, and they go to Tranmere tomorrow night. And I'm sure Tranmere won't be looking forward to facing up against it because after a, a difficult start for, for Posh, where, you know, I I spoke back then about not being convinced by the hype, but, but since then it's just been total and utter domination against whatever has been thrown at them. Um, the you know the three 0 win against Sunderland really, I think, sending out a message to the to the rest of the league that they are 
uh, going to be up there come the end of the season. Um, and then Rochdale had had such a good start to the season up up until Saturday and just completely capitulated against them. And they won't be the last team to do so. Um, worth pointing out, as ever, that, that some of the performances earlier on in the season didn't, I mean, looked fairly unsustainable, it's fair to say. Um, and I, I'm not necessarily convinced they're going to um, continue to, to score at the rate they currently are. But I have no doubt that if they stay fit, that Issa and Antonian and Madison are going to continue to uh, pro- provide massive issues for, for opposition defences. Uh, and it's good to, you know, good to see Madison actually putting a run of games together where he is consistently proving himself. Um, not only is a very good talent, which we've always known, but actually getting in amongst the goals, getting the assists, a fantastic finish for his first goal mm. on Saturday. A really, really nice lob, full of quality. Not many players in the team who could do that. And he also put a through ball through, I think, for Tony, which ended up with the defender desperately trying to stop it, ending up on his backside as well. He's on absolutely astonishing form at the moment. Really positive stuff for Peterborough. Uh, Dale kept giving it away and, and Posh making them pay. They have they have managed, uh, I, I think, at this stage, when, when they've only faced one shot on target in four games, I think you can probably say that they have had some success while the start of the season they might have been searching for the right system this current system with Madison playing in the hole behind those two strikers. Uh, I suppose credit has to go to the back seven, we'll call them, the back eight, uh, because ultimately when you've got those guys, that's that's kind of the onus, isn't it? Making sure they have the platform to do their thing. So credit to the midfield three and, and the back four and the goalkeeper for putting in some really good performances recently. Now, Rotherham scored six as well. I think we'll probably continue more or less with our um, with our theme so far this season of not heaping too much praise on teams that thrash Bolton because they're not the first team. But at the same time, we have to recognise that these are senior players now in this Bolton team. It's not the team of youth players that lost so many games by five goals. But even so, George, we, we wondered from a Bolton perspective and uh, we sort of, we've got a case study of sorts here. How long does it take a new manager with a whole new team to gel uh, while the season is underway. And it looks like there's quite a long way to go for this Bolton side. Yeah, it does. Um, but, I mean, as Keith Hill is very positive after the game, I think mm. um, so many good points to take out of this 6-1 defeat. Uh, even if um, they were outclassed on the day, I think for the fans to be able to enjoy their team, managed by two guys who are local, you know, local guys who care a lot for the club, um, was really important. And you saw how much it meant to the fans and the players after the game. Um, as they um, saluted each other, mm. you could say. And, and you know, it, it's impossible to say how good a result this is for Rotherham until we've seen a bit more from this Bolton team. Um, Oxford played them tomorrow evening, which I think will be fairly indicative uh, as well, because I think we know um, kind of, I guess, where this Oxford team lie uh, in the league, somewhere probably around the middle. And therefore, for, um, for Bolton at home, um, this is a game that they will want to show that they are now mm. Uh, going to be competitive going forward this season. They won't want another um, five-goal deficit, whether that's 6-1 or 5-0. And I don't think they will. I think that we're going to see pretty quickly this team come together, um, even if the defensive frailties are pretty obvious. You know, you've got a, a defender in Jake Wright um, who's stepping up, having played very little football for about 18 months' time. And he will be a quality addition for them. But he's just an example of, of six or seven guys who are coming in um, basically completely from the cold and trying to step up to League One football straight away, which is going to be difficult for them. Um, but a uh, fantastic goal from from, from Valinden. Mm. Uh, looks a really exciting player already. And, um, you know, good that Bolton got that time to, to at least taste what it feels like again to be ahead in the game 
uh, and I'm sure it won't be long till they till they get that again. Yeah, hopefully not against Oxford from your perspective. <laughs> uh, other big results in League One. MK Don's going to Blackpool and winning 3-0. Um, I guess this one, it's a great result. Don't get me wrong for MK Don's. We're going to see them tomorrow night at home to Ipswich. That will be a great one for us to get a, an idea, really, of the level of both sides. MK Don's very inconsistent so far this season, but that is two wins in a row now. Um, and they did the business this weekend. But I'm, I'm going to just focus on the Blackpool side of things because slightly without us noticing maybe they've really cooled off in a big way after that hot start i think there were three wins out of three and since then uh, no wins rob who's a a tangerines fan said no disrespect meant to mk but they were pretty average to be fair they did defend balls into the box well but strolled to a 3-0 victory that's how bad blackpool were don't think a side will ever get an easier win without having to get out of second gear now that sounds sort of quite negative or at least I thought it did when I first read it. But watching the game back and looking at the fact that Blackpool, somehow, given what we've spoken about so far this season, they really were resorting just to lumping balls into Nondwier uh, and uh, and Russell Martin having a pretty easy time of things at the back there. But notable as well, and something to keep an eye on, is Curtis Tilt's terrible error for the, for the mm. goal. He gave the ball away as the last line of defence. It's not the first time he's done that this season. Um, and reading a bit more about the game, he stormed off when he was substituted through a proper tantrum down the tunnel. Um, he, there are reports, very much only Twitter-based, I should say, um, that he was seen out and about after the game on a night out, which I sort of, I, I personally tried would not would try not to criticise a, a player for doing something like that, but as you can imagine, hasn't gone down that well with the fans after his histrionics on the game. So it's a it's 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 notable, I guess, because Tilt has been a fantastic defender for them in the last few years. Um, keeping hold of him has been uh, sort of a theme of Blackpool's last few transfer windows. So um, to be at a point where he is falling out to some extent with the fans is uh, slightly concerning, as is their performance in that game. Um, Lincoln lost at home to Bristol Rovers. Great away win for Rovers. And Sunderland got the win against Accrington. What caught your eye in those games this weekend? Uh, hard not to be taken by um, Lyndon Gooch's lovely volley in, Ooh, the, in yes. the Accrington game. Um, really tasty. A very, very nice strike indeed. Mm. Um, also, and, a good, yeah. good goal for Accrington. Really, I was sort of, I was looking, yeah. I was looking for reasons to to criticise some Sunderland defenders, but actually, just a brilliantly executed pass, a great run, and a, a good finish by Clark as well. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, and, and a good, a big result, I guess, for Sunderland as well after um, that disappointing game against against Peterborough uh, a, a couple of, of of games ago. And then in, in the Lincoln game, I mean, it's always going to be frustrating for them to to lose at home to a team tipped to struggle. The first game after the Cowleys uh, have left the club, but I think there was enough in their performance to um, suggest it's not all doom and gloom. Uh, Jack Payne still buzzing around. Uh, doing his thing in the middle of the park, um, and I'm sure they'll be okay. Yeah, um, I think consensus know, in that one was that a draw would have been a fair result, but yeah. Johnson Clark Harris doing Johnson Clark Harris things, uh, sort of being the difference there. Um, and I think I, th- I think the key is for them is just just to get the manager situation sorted this week at some stage. And um, it feels like it's kind of getting towards a, um, a, a an end. Uh, Flynn and, and and Ainsworth are seemingly the two names being linked uh, consistently. Uh, being reported in the, in the in the national press that Ainsworth turned the job down, but um, I'd say the odds currently su- su- would suggest that things aren't done and dusted there. And another name into the hat, Michael Appleton, is a, is a big move in the betting market as well. So never heard of him. Um, 
could be <laughs> no smoke without fire with him. And Oxford play Lincoln on Saturday next uh, uh, later this week as well, which could be interesting if he does get the job. But um, but yeah, Ainsworth and Flynn seemingly the front the front runners, and you'd bat them both to to, to take on the work the Cali brothers did, and uh, and continue to go forward. Yeah, so a good away wins there. Um, some quality play from Sunderland in the first half. They did their sort of quite standard taking the foot off the gas to some extent in the second half, but they did manage to keep Accrington at bay, um, which is uh, which is progress, I suppose, because they have allowed teams to get back into games uh, at different points over the last few months. Um, Gillingham and Oxford both recorded fairly comfortable home wins as well. Uh, not going to go in depth on these, I'm afraid. We spoke about Gills last week, didn't we, after they drew with Tranmere. We spoke about the fact that neither team had beaten anyone other than Bolton at that stage, but we came to the conclusion that it is Tranmere we are much more concerned about. Gillingham putting together a, a good performance against uh, Wickham, of course, who were top of the league, and uh, for the first time, uh, essentially putting together a, a performance for the whole game, which is what the fans were after, because they'd let quite a few leads slip. Uh, and Oxford disposing of Tranmere 3-0 in that game. It sounded like Tranmere didn't offer much, uh, and also gave Oxford two penalties. So, um, it sounds like that Oxford game against, um, who did you say, Bolton on Tuesday and then Lincoln on the weekend. So yeah. we, we might have some yellows chat next Monday. I might allow you a little bit of yellows chat, but, <laughs> but maybe, maybe not. Look, in League Two, I think there's quite a few eye-catching results, um, one of which certainly was uh, Northampton beating Newport 2-0. Simon uh, tweeted us to say this was an excellent performance. The defence looked outstanding. Harriman, incredible that he didn't have a club until three weeks ago. I get the feeling he was kind of looking for a probably a League One move, to be fair, but he settled with Northampton and he's part of a back four that's very impressive at the moment. Um, Harriman, Goode, Scott Wharton and Joe Martin as well. They they did very well against the Newport side. I did note that Newport, they played Amond and Abrahams up front. Matt came off the bench and looking at their long passing stats, they were still going just as direct as, as they always do, really. But without Matt and with Amond and Abrahams, that, that really was playing into Northampton's hands somewhat. So a really impressive uh, result for Northampton. And, and maybe, George, after after their start to the season, which has been quite strange, with wins against Swindon, Plymouth and Newport, three teams we consider to be pretty good for League Two, uh, but losing already to Macclesfield, Colchester and Walsall. So... Um, they sort of showed their potential this weekend, but it's hard to truly judge this Northampton team at this stage. Yeah, I think this, as as a result, in isolation, is one of the best in League Two um, of the weekend. I mean, restricting Newport to just three shots in the whole game, despite being ahead um, from the fifth minute, is pretty unbelievable. I mean, it's pretty extraordinary to do that because naturally you're going to look to to sit a bit deeper and 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 you know just not take too many risks, and that invites pressure itself. But Newport just had three shots, two of which were blocked. So the Joss Labadee header in the first half was the only actual shot they had, um, which kind of reached the goal uh, and that went wide. So no, no shots on target either. And um, whilst Newport committed some individual errors at the back, which which caused the chances that Northampton scored from, um, it was it was dominant. And we haven't seen this Newport team be taken apart like that by anyone, um, especially not in the last in in that unbeaten run that they've just seen come to an end. So. Uh, I guess as with as with uh, Peterborough, you don't want to get too carried away. But Northampton certainly a team who I wasn't particularly enamoured with their summer business. Um, I, I'm not a huge fan of Keith Curl, but but more performances like that, and you have to reassess where you um, expect them to be featuring this season because that was um, yeah against a, a consistently solid team and often better than solid. Uh, Northampton to totally outclass them. 
And Scunthorpe got a win, didn't they? That was nice to see. They did. You, you enjoy watching that one back? I feel like I feel like you've been, along with Stoke, really sort of waiting for results to turn here. And uh, a fairly, well, I was going to say fairly comfortable home win against Morecambe. I suppose it was in terms of the scoreline. Although I do note that goalkeeper Rory Watson saved seven shots in this game. So it wasn't like quite as dominant as it looked. But uh, yeah. And all, all three, all three Scunthorpe goals were, were rebounds as well. Got to follow it in. So um, maybe maybe it's just some change of luck, I guess, for Paul Hurst. Yeah. Um, because they haven't had much of it so far this season. Does happen. It does happen eventually. Uh, you just got to keep working, as they say. Salford lost 2-0 at home to Cheltenham. This Cheltenham team that they're not meant to win away from home because they always win at home. And that's the way to sort of balance it out. But actually, a really, really impressive performance here. Jacko. Uh, tweeted us to say Salford looks shell-shocked at this level. Cheltenham looking stronger all the time. Duff said he's been working on the mental side of the game to transfer that home form to the road. Um, Broom is looking a constant threat now that he's moved to the number 10 role. That's been evident the last few weeks, Broom's form. But we did speak about Cheltenham last week, so I'm just going to ask you, how surprised are you at how, I guess, meh Salford have been so far? Not particularly surprised. Um, I, I wouldn't be so quick to write them off yet. I mean, Richard Tell coming off in the game, I think, made a big impact. Apparently, he might have Salford. a broken leg. If that's the case, then that's a massive concern. Mm. Um, because... Not confirmed, not confirmed, but that was what one report said. Let's hope, let's hope Richie isn't listening and suddenly you just terrified him into thinking he's broken his leg when he hasn't already. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, they've had five draws this season. Um, they easily could have picked up a few more points than they have done already. Um, I think this was quite clearly the worst performance of the season so far. But Cheltenham are a decent outfit who, uh, you know, I, I think there's there wouldn't be too much between these two sides, um, even if pre-season expectations may have had Salford a bit higher. Um, but they've got a canny manager in Graham Alexander and I'm sure they'll bounce back from this. I mean, they're one of the teams who, um, in terms of the, the XG data, um, looked to have been a little bit unlucky early on in the season in a couple of games. So um, I'm sure if they keep keep doing what they're doing, um, they'll they'll bounce back fairly soon. And how surprised were you to see the final score at Gresty Road Crew two Cambridge three? Because that one definitely surprised me. Although with quite a large caveat of uh, Crew going down to ten men in the first half, but credit to uh, Cambridge for for battling away and getting the result there. Yeah, it was a funny. The I mean, the red card was was obviously the the big turning point um, in this one with Green being sent off for a. a a challenge on Samir Carruthers. Um, Carruthers looked in a lot of pain until the red card was was, was brandished. And then he seemed to pop up pretty quickly um, <laughs> afterwards. Uh, but that did change the game. So you, you've got to take the result with a pinch of salt. Massive for Sam Smith to get two goals, though, because his loan spell at Oxford last season was nothing short of uh, a disaster. And he, he was yet to find the, the net for Cambridge thus far this season. So I think for him to, to get that monkey off his back um, and especially scoring a, a dramatic winner, even if from the spot and an away game, should give him a lot of confidence going forward. Yeah, I know I know that he... I mean, his finish for the first was really nice, Smith. He sort of slotted with his left foot one-on-one, but it, it was... I don't think the goalkeeper had done his research and worked out that he's very left-footed because he basically ran around it 
And in doing so, the keeper thought he was going to shoot with his right foot. So he sort of already he'd already gone down by that point. But very good result for Cambridge and another three-two away win to finish. Uh, when you travel from Carlisle to Stevenage, I feel like you deserve a three-two away win because that's about as good as it gets as an away fan. And Carlisle games, I mean, I would recommend watching them to anyone if you can. Um, 26 goals combined in their eight games so far this season always goals in them and that speaks to just how poor they are defensively uh, they definitely made heavy weather of, of Mark and Curtis Guthrie um, who, who to be fair we know is, is pretty unplayable at this level on his day and, uh, and was so on the weekend but they have their own two players unplayable they are making every Carlisle game worth watching and they are Nathan Thomas and Harry McCurdy um, they are just having such a good time at the moment basically um, free reign to pick the ball up and go at defenders and um, and, and McCurdy was just sensational in this game. Um, he, that, It's kind of weird how much him and Callum O'Hare, who are both Aston Villa graduates, it's kind of weird how much they resemble sort of League One and League Two versions of Grealish. Not, not entirely. <laughs> I'm not saying they're exactly the same player, but there's just something about the way that they move and the way that they carry the ball I suppose that that's reminiscent of the great man um and uh, yeah in a, in a, in what was a tricky summer for Carlisle I think picking up McCurdy on a free transfer could be one of the most important bits of business they will have done because not only is he a big difference maker for them not being relegation fodder essentially but also he will probably be worth quite a lot of money if he continues in this vein so really really impressive stuff um there were th- Three more narrow wins uh, in League Two. That was Port Vale 1-0 against Plymouth. Walsall 0-1 against Bradford. Crawley 1-0 against Mansfield. Those games were very tight games, uh, edged by those teams. And then, George, just the last word on Swindon Town because they are really, really, really good right now. Yeah, I mean, they're looking brilliant. (laughs) There's nothing else you can really say. Owen Doyle is probably the signing of the summer so far for any team in League Two. Um, we, we spoke before the season started that they looked so well balanced and so ready for Wellens ball, just lacking that prolific goal scorer. And they've definitely got that in Doyle, who's, mm. who's averaging better than a goal a game. Um, and even for the first goal, it was his shot that was um, followed up by Keshi Anderson for, for the opener. Um, Lloyd Isgrove is, is also one of the signings of the summer so far. Um, it's all just oozing quality. And Macclesfield have been... Have upset a few teams with with ideas, um, with lofty ideas already this this campaign, um, but none of it for Swindon, who who dispatched them with with total ease, and there's a reason why they're now the, the favourites to win League Two. The favourites to win League Two, Swindon Town. I hadn't spotted that, but to be honest, I was thinking after that game that we certainly haven't seen a, a more impressive team. I don't think at this stage, certainly. Um, some of their play with space to move into is absolutely scintillating and uh, they scored a couple of really really nice Wellens ball goals on the weekend so congratulations to Swindon uh, you know when George Ellick is praising you to the extent that he has had to do in the last month or so that you're doing something right so um, guys thank you so much for listening please follow us on Instagram this week we are on at NTT20 pod that's what I'm requesting you to do because well, we're going to be at MK Don Zipswich and I'm probably going to do some stories. Um, we might play a bit of golf in the afternoon, which we like to do. Then I'm sure we will have a, a, a thoroughly enjoyable train ride to Bletchley. Um, and uh, I'll try and get a, a, 
an Insta story of George eating a pie or something like that. So as you can tell, the sort of content that you love to see and, uh, and we'll be providing that at NTT20pod on Instagram. Get in touch with us there or on Twitter if you have any questions off the back of today's pod. We really appreciate you lending us your time more than anything. Uh, and yeah, say something nice to someone you love this evening. It's a very rewarding, <laughs> very rewarding experience. Talk again on Thursday.